Welcome to episode 23 of the Worship is Life podcast, where worship equals relationship and relationship is the purpose of life. I'm your producer, Taylor Marshall, and today's guest is Jeff Dio. And here is your host, Todd Marshall. Thank you, Taylor, and Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. And welcome, Jeff, to the Worship is Life Ooh. podcast. Come on, let's go. All right. <laughs> yeah, we are so grateful and thankful for you taking the time to join us and um, really looking forward to our listeners uh, just hearing about our connections and um, just what's happening in your life right now and how your influence continues to spread and mm-hmm. deepen. And uh, yeah, so this is going to be, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. So Jeff, so I feel like, you know, my, my journey with getting to know you is kind of unique and layered and even started before you would even have a clue of, of who I am. So <laughs> Um, so a lot of our listeners are going to be aware, um, that you were the lead singer for Sonic Flood when it was busting out in 1999 in the year 2000. And, and many would say that that group was, was even the, the father of, of the contemporary Christian worship band. So looking forward to hearing that story of the transition from a contemporary Christian music band to a contemporary Christian Worship band. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that was right around the time when we went to New York, where we served for 13 and a half years. Taylor was two years old when we moved there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, so of course I knew of the group Sonic Flood. I'm sure knowing me, I didn't even know the name of the lead singer, which would have been you. Um, and then a few years later, um, I, and I can't even remember how I became aware of your song, Bless the Lord. Um, but mm. that became a, a major anthem that we used uh, at our church yeah. out there, mm-hmm. um, and so um, yeah, that was a what's a what what can you remember about the birthing of that song? Just quick story. Man, I mean, bless the Lord. That one takes me way back, obviously, but it's a song as you mentioned that uh, was just hugely a blessing, influential, all that good stuff, but. It's one of those songs I was, I remember literally sitting in my little office with my acoustic guitar, which, you know, most people, if they know me as an instrumentalist, they know that I play piano as my first instrument. So I had just been teaching myself some guitar and was determined to to write some new songs on guitar. And, you know, that, that was one of the first that Mm -hmm. came from that is super simple chords um and and really you know a super simple message that's always interesting because you end up you know i ended up writing this song based on psalm 103 as as many people have who write songs called bless the lord or mm-hmm. or have those lyrics in them you know but bless the lord oh my soul and all those within me uh you know that that incredible verse there so uh it was a powerful song it's one of those i honestly didn't know if it would and I think this happens to songwriters, but I didn't know if it would be one that we would actually even put on the album. You know, wow. um, I remember one funny story about this real quick is I, I remember sitting there playing the, the chords and um, the song was in, in the key of C. And so I was playing and I was learning to play these bar chords. And so I went to play uh, a G major and ended up playing a G minor on accident. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And went, wow, that sounds really cool. Yes. <laughs> so, you, so you got the minor five, minor five in yep. there. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Uh, and it was and it was just an accident. Uh, of course, you know, it takes a trained ear to recognize that the accident was a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, that was something that kind of gave that song a new sound. And it actually helped it to me move from being, you know, kind of like what something I've heard before and then you add that different sound to it and it mm-hmm. it gives new ears to an old idea. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, well it was it, it is a a beautiful great song and um and we certainly put it to the test with mm-hmm. the amount of times that we uh <laughs> engaged through that song in that congregation. So that was awesome. And then while we were in New York, you joined the staff of our Alma Mater, North Central University in Minneapolis. Mm. And um, what year did you first come to North Central? So it was January of 2010. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so then it must have been, 
it must have been pretty quick after that then that you launched Pure Worship Institute. Yes. Um, because then Brenda and I, which of course, you know, in our 30 years of ministry together, either together or separately, have gone to many, many conferences, music conferences yeah. slash worship conferences. And so Brenda and I traveled back here to the Twin Cities for that conference. And um, we just went away, both of us saying, that is the best conference we have ever been to. I mean, just with the mm. with the lineup of guests and the content from the guests, um, yeah, it wow. was just, it was so rich and so deep. That's where I was first exposed to the, not only teaching, but experience of the seven Hebrew words of praise, which I've done around yes. the world now. Um, mm. And um, yeah, so that so 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 that's when I so that's when I first got to n- know you a little more, even though you still barely knew me. But then just through those a few communications through there, um, we got to know each other a little bit. And then we moved back here eight years ago, so 2014. We moved back here, hmm. um, and then through my just connections to North Central, just you know us getting to know each other a little better. And then that has culminated with um, our relationship through um, the executive leadership team of my district role here with the Assemblies of God. You serving yes. on, on that team and just helping cast vision and being such an encourager and supporter. And so we're able to we're able to support each other's ministries. We we really track, you know, on the same way. I really look at your first book, Pure Awakening, Pure Worship. I really look at that as really just the same heartbeat of my Worship is Life book. So you and I talk the same yes. language. We've got similar uh, visions, similar passions in in what we're hoping and, and wanting to see in the church as God uh, God raises raises the church up to to touch his world and grow his kingdom. So yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of my side of our of of our journey. <laughs> you want to add anything to that? Anything you recall or remember? Well, you know, it's just amazing how uh God does things, right? I mean, there was no no grid for me to think that I would ever move to Minnesota and be a professor at North Central University. Um I you know, again, though to you know, to go off of what you've been talking about with relationship, all of these things had to do with relationship Mm. and connections that I had with people who already were at North Central, Mm -hmm. Uh, like Jeff Grinnell, you know, he's Mm. a person who was kind of whispering in my ear years before I came, hey, you should come to North Central University. I'm like, what? I don't even have a grid for that, you know? (laughs) I I can't even think. I'm I'm in Nashville. I'm touring the world, you know? I, I, I don't really... but. I know that, you know, part of that process for me was God, I, I said, God, I, I want to make a difference. And I, you know, I've had a huge passion, as you kind of mentioned, a uh, huge passion for the church, which I believe will then impact a hurting world, you know. Uh, yeah. And so being able to to develop and teach, and you, you mentioned the Pure Worship Institute, that being like the first step in the process of me realizing that I was I had this teaching desire inside of me, you know, to put together a conference and, and, and all those things. There's this passion that the Lord had put in me to, you know, transfer the things of God to this generation, to the next generation. Mm. Um, anybody who would listen, anybody who wanted to, to know the Lord more and wanted to build his kingdom, you know. So all of those things, you know, coming together with me coming to North Central and, and doing the Pure Worship Institute and meeting you and, uh, you know, had making so many new connections um, in Minnesota. So it's been, it's amazing, you know, 12-year journey mm-hmm. with North Central, which who knows, I, I wouldn't have imagined me being in this season of my life. And now knowing, I mean, it's such a profound concept, you know, it's simple and maybe obvious, but God knows best, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we fight his will or we fight what he wants for us. Lord, just don't send me here or just don't mm. send me there. And, mm. You know, I would have thought that teaching would have been the last thing that I wanted to do. But come to find mm. out that the Lord put a gift in me to do it. He put passion in me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I love being at North Central and having North Central as my home base. So, Well, it's, it's, it's crazy, Jeff, because, you know, I attended North Central for four and a half years. And so my whole time there, you were there, obviously. And so, so just love, uh, so many times we've had and relationship, just, just going, going back in my mind to many times sitting down in your office and just, 
something I just appreciate about you is um, I've gotten to know you personally where um, where I just know your heart for the Lord and for pe- and your family mm. and for people where just you're an authentic person um, mm. and so many like life moments of just like kind of starting off with a different track and then heading in just like a life moment conversation that I've just needed time and time again. So thankful for your uh, friendship. And I always tell people, yeah, Jeff is a really great friend and mentor to me. Just love, love him. And, um, and I even think about some of those, uh, prayer and worship nights that we had together a couple years in a yes. row, there, which was, oh. a, which was, I believe was like a response out of something you'd experienced in college, just like connection mm-hmm. with the Lord, kind of revival stuff, just breaking out in a basement. So you facilitated a, a space for that in your basement. And I got yes. to come to that and, you know, a handful to a dozen people, North Central students, and just like being in, in your space, in your house, just seeking the Lord and just have loved, um, all the different perspectives I've gotten to know you, even to now being in your home, teaching, teaching your kids piano. (laughs) It's like a full circle thing of, uh, just knowing you and, and love being connected in the ways that we are. Well, it's, it's really cool, Taylor, just how all that has come around and, you know, knowing uh, your dad first, but Mm -hmm. then knowing, Hey, Taylor's coming to, to North central. And, you know, there was, there was a little bit of a buzz about Taylor coming to, you know, <laughs> um, and, and then just seeing, you know, that the buzz was real in the sense, mm. cause I can, I can, you know, send those compliments back your way as far as just your heart for the Lord and, and your integrity and your desire to follow God's path for you. And, hmm. and then, you know, the, the talent and the gifting that he's given you as well. And the fact that you want to use that to hmm. build the kingdom and, and encourage people. And whether that's, like you said, teaching piano lessons in, to my little kids, which is going to pay dividends. I think <laughs> oh, yeah. it does for you and <laughs> it will definitely for them. And, and, you know, but then being on the road and creating new music and releasing new music and all right. those things. So uh, it's been a blessing to watch that process and, and to have just your touch and influence at North central with other students and mm. in chapel and, and all those things. So it's awesome. Well, thanks man. And uh, even in the songwriting, I just reminded like, you know, the first song I ever wrote was uh, with you and that turned into mm. always remain. And so that, what a cool story and chapter we've talked about that before in the podcast, but how, Crazy. how that was, you know, you were walking me through that. I had this bridge, didn't know what to do with it and turned into a collaborative process and you were able to walk me through that. And then, and then, and then you, you know, and then we, and then used it as for the school. Yeah. Such a cool, such a cool story. Yeah. And, and not only a song that was recorded, but also the title track, you know, yes, I mean, crazy, like, crazy story. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, full circle. Really cool. so. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple other family connections, of course, our daughter, Kelsey, uh, was also there during, yep. uh, with you for a few years. And so that connection there. Um, and then I've had to have just a little input in helping your two oldest uh, get ready for their driver's test. So that's been fun. <laughs> that's been fun and uh, and beneficial along the way too. So so um, crazy, all mm-hmm. these small connections, small yeah. connections. <laughs> Speaking of that, yeah, tell our listeners just a little bit, uh, maybe just about your your background even before Sonic Flood, and then your family as well, your wife, your kids. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I grew up in a family of ministry. I mean, my father is 81 years old and has mm. still works part time for Youth for Christ. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, there's and and my goodness, my, both my mom and dad were musical. My dad was in a trombone trio in college. I mean, <laughs> a traveling trombone trio. I don't know. Say that fast three times. Wow. Uh, you know, traveling around. And, and, and my mom was a, a voice major, you know, in college. And so you would never, so you have my dad and youth for Christ. So he's, he has the passion for the next generation and they've got the music thing going. And so it's like, and they love the Lord. And so there's, that's, that's kind of me, you know, I, yeah. I love pouring into the next generation. I love the Lord. I love music, all that stuff. So, uh, but they raised me to love the Lord and pursue, you know, the things of the Lord. And so, then I ended up at, uh, I started at Wheaton College, went to uh, Anderson University, graduated there, met my amazing wife, Martha, at uh, Anderson University. We have been married. Man, we're coming up on 30 years. Oh my. I can't believe it. Oh, my. It's, it's crazy, man. Uh, 30 years. May 23rd, uh, 2022 will be 
30 years. Oh, so wow. we're pretty pumped about that. Uh, but we have four amazing kids and they're kind of spread out a little bit in age, but um, Roman is my oldest and, and he is now a freshman at North Central crazy. University, which is really crazy. Yeah. Cause he was like seven when we moved to town and everybody thought of these wow. little kids and, you know, we only had two kids and Martha was pregnant with our third when we came to North oh, Central. Wow. Hmm. Uh, so, so then there's Evan who is a senior in high school and is making plans to come to North Central. Uh, so that's pretty exciting as well. And then we have a little bit of a space there and we have Channing who is in sixth grade. Uh, he's 11 and Clara who is in fourth grade, who is nine. So we got our three boys and our little girl, and uh, so that's a, uh, you know, it's funny because the way things have changed around the world, I mean, we, we know a family who has, they have 10 kids, you know, so we're thinking, man, we're thinking four kids is, it's relatively normal. Mm. But it's funny because with the way things have changed, there's you walk into a restaurant and people kind of look at you like, man, <laughs> didn't you guys know how to stop? Like, oh what's my going goodness, on? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> you know, because like the average is like 1.5 kids or something in America. So. Wow. So that <laughs> also... Anyways, it, <laughs> I was going to say, that also means that you and Martha were married for at least 10 years before you had Roman. So exactly. is there any story behind that, or was that just a, a, just a, yeah. a choice to wait? Or No, there's, there's some uh, challenges there. Okay. Like, you know, we, we did choose to wait at first, uh, but then, you know, it's kind of how things go. You kind of go, okay, God, I think we're ready. Um, so, <laughs> and, and so you're like, here we go. And expecting, you know, three months later, you're going to be pregnant and all that. And, and, you know, a year went by, two years went by, three uh -huh. years went by. Mm -hmm. And and so then we're like, okay, is there something wrong? Go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. He said, no, you guys are fine. Uh, nothing wrong with you. And mm -hmm. so we're like, okay, this is God's timing. But it was about five years or so oh, of of trying to wow. get pregnant and not being able to get pregnant. Uh, so it's one of those things, you know, because most, most of our peers that are our age, are, a lot of them are empty nesters at this point, and we still have a nine-year-old. Uh, right. Well. But, but yeah, we just got started late, and, and it's weird because we didn't do anything, you know. I mean, God just, his timing, I guess. And then when Roman came along, of course, you're thinking, well, you know, we don't want to prevent or, or do anything. We just, you know, we, we had a hard time getting pregnant with the first, but then 17 months later, we have another one. Mm. So, um, you know, they're real close together. But, yeah. uh, but we did, you know, I mean, and maybe this will to encourage some people out there as well, because those can be difficult seasons. Mm, I mean, sure. to me, to me right now, five years doesn't seem like that long, but back then it seemed like an eternity. Oh, absolutely. Waiting. You know, and then we did have three miscarriages between uh, Evan and Channing oh, as well, goodness. which was also mm. challenging. Mm. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there who have been through those things. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just I, I'm really thankful. I mean, Martha and I really hold tightly to the Lord with this type of thing. It was some it was disheartening and, and those types of things. But we just kept giving it to God. We just, I mean, it sounds cliche, but we're mm -hmm. like, you know what, we're. We're not ruled by these things. Mm -hmm. You know, the Lord made us. He loves us. He has good things for us. Um, so in the pain, in that struggle, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're just going to trust him with that. And it, it was crazy because we really did believe that we were probably done having kids now that we had after having three miscarriages. And the irony of that is I was I went to North Central to like from Nashville, flew to North Central to be interviewed and consider taking a position that they mm. were offering me. Mm. And when I came back from that interview, back to Nashville, Martha showed me that she was pregnant again. Wow. <laughs> and wow. so it was surrounding that change in our lives mm. that then the Lord added Channing and then Clara to mm. our family. So. Yeah. And, and since we're talking about this, I'll just put a little, uh, advertisement out there. So episode eight of our podcast is our daughter's story, Kelsey and Ben's mm. story uh, from, we call it from infertility to parenthood. So they had mm -hmm. a very similar journey and they told their whole story on that podcast. And a lot of people have been encouraged by that. So if there's anyone listening that wants to just uh, be more encouraged by mm -hmm. more details of a, of a journey, then uh, that episode is is 
it's our actually it's our most downloaded episode that we mm-hmm. that we have. Wow. So it's been really wow. great. Uh, great help and and um, their testimony has been a great encouragement, uh, like I'm sure yours has been to mm-hmm. to many. Awesome. Yes. So Jeff, I feel like um, I may be wrong, but I just feel like this sonic flood story mm-hmm. is probably a significant launching point um, of of taking passions that you had, but then intensifying them and growing them and 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 allowing you to to realize some some deeper connections that music and and corporate worship play in the whole role of things so so yes. again so so sonic flood so something happened where sonic flood went from this contemporary christian music band to this contemporary christian worship band so yeah just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that story yeah for sure i mean it's it's really interesting Todd, because, you know, this is, it's like a very personal story, but also then it turned into like a global story, you know, uh, which was not, we we had no idea that something like that would happen. Mm. But it seems like there's this tension that I was walking in my personal life and even some of the other guys in the band Sonic Flood that was happening around the world uh, that was just common to everybody. It felt like maybe there was this shifting that needed to take place. Uh, in, in my little world, you know, I, I, I mentioned I grew up in church, and uh, but I grew up in a little bit more conservative type church backgrounds uh, where where our worship time or the musical worship time in, in our services was more of a horizontal experience. So hmm. it was more like community relationship, which I think is is a big part of right. of the true worship experience, but not the only one. And so I, I feel like in my growing up time, I really never understood that there was a vertical connection relationally with God that could happen while we sang. It was like we were singing theology, um, which is good, you know, and we, we, we were, did hymns, you know, and, um, uh, and I never, I didn't, didn't hate it. I, I, I just loved, you know, I went to church, we worshiped. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything different mm-hmm. than that. And so, but then I had this other world where I was a musician and I wrote songs and I was doing this pop music and, um, you know, I was a Michael W. Smith fan and DC talk fan mm-hmm. and Stephen Curtis Chapman and all those things. Well, to me, those are like two different worlds. You had the church music and then you had this professional, like mm. Christian, you know, music that was coming out of Nashville and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, in my mind there at that time, there really wasn't like this idea that you could make a living as a worship artist or, mm-hmm. or you could, or that was even a thing, you know, like yep. the guy from our, our board got up and, and said, Hey, turn to page 235 and let's sing stances one, two, and four, you know? Um, yep. and, mm. and he wasn't even necessarily a musician. You know? <laughs> wow. So the idea of that person leading and, and that potentially could be me, like there was never a connection there mm. with me potentially leading some worship That's songs. Crazy. It's so crazy yeah. to think that that's only 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it really it really is, wow. you know. And I mean, I suppose we would back up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, a lot of that's my growing up years. You know? So yeah. I'm thinking even in high school and stuff like that. So like 80s, you know, but that, that, that still was impacting my life the way I thought in yeah. the 90s. And so, uh, but then this idea, so I joined... Uh, long story short, I ended up joining the band Zilch, which was the band Zilch was signed with Goatee Records, and that was Toby Mac's label, Goatee Records, mm. and they they signed Zilch as the they were the band members that played and traveled with DC Talk. Mm. So um, they signed. So there were guys that supported the three main guys in DC Talk, and they signed them to as Zilch. Well, they ended up. I know. I ended up meeting those guys. One of them came to my church in Nashville, and they ended up meeting a lead singer. The lead singer transitioned out, and so they came to me and asked me, "Hey, would you fill in for you know this guy?" And so we we did uh, like I don't know six or seven shows together. It was like, uh, and this is this is like kind of Christian pop. Um, surfer rock kind of almost, mm-hmm. you know, like it wasn't even the type of music I was doing hip hop back in those days. That's oh, a different wow. story. But, <laughs> but so they asked me to sing. And so I did. And the Lord just breathed on that thing. Like we had the first night we were together, the, the Lord, just, I mean, 
like 300 kids gave their hearts to Christ. I preached the gospel. Wow. We, mm. we, we actually did lead worship that night after the concert. Mm. Um, but you know, for me back in those days, like worship was like, lean on me. Um, <laughs> I just lean on me. I was like Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Yeah. Maybe that was early nineties, but, yeah. but you know, so it was very different type of situation, but we led worship. I preached, God just put his hand in favor on that night. So those guys asked me to join the band officially after that hmm. that show and so i did i prayed about it felt like you know that was a tough decision but so i'm in the band zilch now and we're just doing their music which i was not a part of creating now we're just singing it hmm. well we there's this trend that happened uh back in those days where a lot of uh, uh christian artists and bands were doing like a little acoustic worship set in their concerts uh, it was like kind of trendy, like this little nod to God or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. And and so we were like, hey, you know what, maybe we should do something like that. But I want to do it like everybody else. So we created this version of Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, which was, in my opinion, was a fairly like cheesy worship song from back in the day. Mm -hmm. But we kind of modernized it with this uh, modern sound. So instead of doing acoustic worship, we did like more of a, a rock worship thing with that song. And I'm telling you guys, it when when we went to that song, it was like the atmosphere shifted. Mm -hmm. We were doing this horizontal concert. We're rock stars. We're trying to impress people, you know. So hopefully they'll they'll want to know our God, you know, impressing mm. people to Jesus maybe. Mm. And then all of a sudden we start singing this song, and people start running down to the altar, falling on their knees, lifting their hands, you know, tears in their eyes, just seeking God. They're not even looking at us. We're on the stage, but they don't even care. They're just like connecting with God. Mm. And I'm sitting there going at first, this is very uncomfortable because I'm a rock star. I'm trying to like, mm. I'm trying to, I, and, I, and I say that with, I don't think I had a, a, the wrong motives or anything, but just wrong understanding. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to help people and love God, but it was uncomfortable at first. But then every night that went on, we would do this song it was the, it became the culmination of the night. It was the mm. most powerful moment. And you, you started cutting songs in the set to get there. I mean, like, we mm. were like, okay, for, let's not do 10 songs and then do Laura Lefty and High. Let's do like six and then we'll get to that. <laughs> and we'll stay on it for 30 minutes, you know? Wow. And people are crying out to God. And it was this freeing moment wow. for me because in that uncomfortable of, hey, they're not looking at me anymore. Now I didn't have to be anybody. Mm. I didn't have to be a rock star. I could just love Jesus too with these people. And it was like God was introducing me to what it meant to lead worship. That's crazy. It was, wow. it was like on like while I was on the stage, I was becoming a worship leader and realizing that this is something that I was called to, even though I really didn't have a grid for that either. Wow. So, mm. you know, um, Goatee Records came and saw us at a thing, and, and they saw us do that song. And afterwards, President Joey Elwood, he was like, guys, like, it was a great night, but whatever that last song was you did, that was amazing. Like, mm -hmm. we need to do more of that, mm -hmm. you know? So long story short, I mean, there's so many aspects to this, because yeah. there was a lot of personal change that was happening, too. I mean, we went down to the Brownsville Revival mm. and Lyndall Cooley's Worship Conference, and he was a big part of speaking into our lives. Hmm. But we realized we needed to do a worship album, and it was going to be a Zilch worship album. And so uh, we started gathering songs together and, and uh, you know, putting together these kind of – that was kind of our thing. I guess we took a lot of cover songs that maybe were slower songs, and we kind of added new vitality to them mm -hmm. or, you know, new arrangements, new mm -hmm. chords, uh, maybe to, to bring them to another generation – uh, that type of thing. So, you know, we recorded that album and about halfway through, we realized that Zilch was not the defining name. It couldn't be the name of this thing, you know, yeah, zero. It literally Zilch, zero. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, long story, we, we ended up uh, discovering this name Sonic Flood out of a combination of a couple of different names. And, um, really after we decided on the name, we weren't even sure we liked it. But then the next day, we got this video, this, this VHS video preaching tape from Brownsville Revival. Uh, Ray Hughes, who spoke into our lives tons back in those days. Mm. Um, but he was talking about the sound of many mighty rushing waters, mm. the sound of heaven from Revelation 19.6. Mm -hmm. And so the day before, we kind of settled on this name, but had no idea what it meant. 
the next day we get this tape, this video, we all sit down and watch it. And uh, it's from one of the guy's moms. So this, this, this video tape, bunch of, bunch of rock stars watching, you know, a preaching tape from Brownsville. And we're just sitting there with our mouths hanging on the floor because mm. he's talking about Revelation 19, 6, how all of heaven and earth come together and make this massive sound. It's like the rush of Niagara Falls, you know, a white noise of just all of creation singing mm. and worshiping God together. And it's a flood of sound. It's a sonic flood. It's a sound of worship of, of all creation coming together to worship God. And we're just like, oh, my goodness, that is what sonic flood means. And so, well, you know, hmm. we changed the name. Um, then that album, as you mentioned, came out in 1999, uh, which was originally intended to be a Zilch worship record. And God just breathed on that thing. And we were literally walking on the bridge as we were building it or as God was building it. Uh, learning how to worship, learning what worship was, all those things, and people just couldn't get enough. Yeah. As like this shift was happening again, like like the convergence for me of church music that I talked about originally and my own pop kind of like there was this revelation. You mean we could actually do music that we love mm. and worship God directly? That was I'd never heard of anything like that before. Yeah. You know. Because uh, a lot of the worship music or church music that I had known was music that was, you know, centuries old. Or, yeah. you know, the style was not the style that I necessarily loved, you know. So it was like all of a sudden there was this idea that you could put, you could worship God to music that you actually enjoyed and and uh, with a more of a modern sound, I guess. And, and so that was really the first time when they released um, I Want to Know You, which Andy Park is the one that wrote that song, In the Secret. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a slow song originally, and we rocked it out. Yeah. Um, but that released on the radio, and there was, there besides, you know, at that time, Delirious and Sonic Flood, we both released albums. And that was kind of the first time that there had ever been worship music on the radio. Wow. Um, and nobody wow. ever did that before because you know people again even the radio stations thought of worship music as i don't know if it's subpar or just a different genre it wasn't something that they would ever put on their rate so it it just i don't know we were part of uh change that god made um that has continued to obviously influence the way worship music is still today absolutely for sure how wow how cool to be a part of that initial Initial shift. That's amazing. And, and, and really, that story really is um, the foundation of what uh, has stirred you and propelled you um, and compelled you to yes. take the route that you have. And then, and not only the feeding into people's lives through teaching and conferences, but now now writing the books. You've got a podcast that has gone through your first your first book, and I know you you what I want to talk about now is is your second book. But so I know that podcast is going to kick back up as you start to work through yes. this this second book. But the first book, Awakening Pure Worship, which um, you know is just really like I mentioned earlier, just about. The horizontal relate the vertical relationship and how that yes. translates into the horizontal relationship. And we could, I mean, you know, we could, you and I could let our listeners talk <laughs> or listen a long time, <laughs> long time to you and me talk about all the pieces right. that that go along with that. Um, but I'll have to resist that temptation um, <laughs> as we just uh, get into now what your second book that just came out called Spark. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, man, is it uh, it it is a handful. I've got it right here in my hands right now, um, and it's as actually. I mean, the you know the subtitle is igniting the culture of pure worship in your teams and your congregation. Um, but inside, on the inside cover page, you know, it says a comprehensive worship leadership handbook. And my goodness, is it ever comprehensive? <laughs> so there's got to be some serious blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into this. But really, when you think back to that Sonic Flood story, I mean, yes, the Sonic Flood story was a culmination of your past years. But now yeah. these last 20 years have been a culmination of what has come out of out of that story. So just so yes. cool to see how God works 
in our relationship with him, our relationship with all those around us. It's just nothing new under the sun. It's always the same, yeah. but it's always fresh, always new, always moving forward. Um, I actually have the honor of being asked by you to write an endorsement for your book. And so I just want right. to let our listeners know what I said uh, yeah. uh, more, more about you, actually, than the book, because the book is an overflow of who you are. But this is what I say in the endorsement is Jeff gets it. He's learned it. He lives it. He's leading it. Jeff is a guiding voice in a new reformation that we desperately need. I invite you to lend your ear to his voice and join him on the journey. And that's one of a couple dozen endorsements that are, that are in your book by a bunch of uh, amazing people. And um, so I just want to, what I want to do is, um, we're probably not going to have time to get to all these quotes here that I've drawn from your book, but just to give our listeners just a little bit of an idea um, because yes, this book is geared towards uh, worship leaders, pastors, but any believer can yeah. can draw lots and lots of helpful insights and truths from this book. So, so in the intro, you specifically say this. Um, you say to us, "I don't want to help you lead worship. I want to help you build culture." Kingdom yes. worship culture, to be exact, in your teams and in your congregation. Funny thing is, you're already doing it, whether you realize it or not. As leaders, mm. we must understand that everything we do and don't do is establishing culture. And I love that because that's one of the heartbeats of what I teach leaders. Mm. I use the word I use the word formation when I'm talking mm. about, and the, the the fancy word we use now <clears throat> in churches, especially. Um, is this word culture, <clears throat> and then just yeah. and the reality of what we do and what we say over and over and over again is what's forming us, is what's shaping us, is what's building culture. Um, yes. So yeah. So can you just take a couple minutes and just unpack that a, a little? Yeah, bit? absolutely. Yeah, that that to me really is because you know as you mentioned, this kind of started out as hey, I need to write a book about how to lead worship, but I realized that. I'm more of a bigger picture type person. I, I love music and I love worship, but I'm really more excited about the kingdom. I'm yeah. more excited about people. I'm more excited about people doing what they're called to do, which is what you talk about so much is loving God. And, and that's the purpose of life is just walking with God and walking with each other. Yeah. So as a musician now through that lens, what are some things that I can do to help you know, build that culture and, and affirm that culture and cultivate those things, you know. So uh, I started writing this book from the perspective of, of not so much just how to lead worship, though, you know, there's tons of practical things that I think are vital, biblical direction, leadership, all that stuff in this book. But the point is to build culture. Uh, if you could if you could see me right now, you, you would see that I was like holding up my hand, like open palm. Hmm. And I would say like, if, if this is culture where, where we're at here, and then I hold up my other hand and, and it's maybe like a foot away from the, the first hand and they're, they're separate. But if, if kingdom culture is the first hand and, it, and our church culture is the second hand, hmm. and we realize that there's a disconnect biblically between where God would have us be and where we are, then I want to say, hey, what can we do to start moving in the direction of getting lined up with the kingdom culture? Yeah. Um, you know, some of our churches, we may just be a little bit off from, you know, those two hands matching up. Yeah. Right? But what as leaders can we do to help shift? I think that's part of our responsibility. Um, let me give an example to um, when it comes to, to building culture, a lot of times we think that culture just happens to us instead of realizing that, as I mentioned in that the, the intro there, that, that we're actually building culture yeah. with every decision, every, you know, uh, service order, every, you know, like, for example, um, I, I go to some church, I, I travel a lot and, and speak and, and lead worship. And, and so I'm always trying to figure out what the culture is of the church, you know, because I need to know where they're at mm -hmm. so I can know where I need to, push or mm -hmm. where I need to encourage or yeah. challenge or all those things. Right. So, well, 
to me, like service times, this is a super simple idea, but the service times that a church chooses tells you a lot about mm-hmm. what their culture is. Mm-hmm. You know, are they nine and 11? Are they nine and 10 30? Are they nine and 10 15? Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, what is the space? Cause a lot of times if I go to a church where let's say it's uh, the nine and 10 30 and I'm trying to feel out, Hey, how tight do you guys stick to your time? Because I just want to know. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, rebel against what I. I want to know what culture. Oh, for them, when they say twenty minutes of music and worship, they actually mean thirty. Or some churches, they say twenty minutes, they need twenty to the second. Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm just trying to figure out what that is. Well, some. You know, I'll, I'll try to feel out what the end of the service is going to be like. And oftentimes, a pastor or somebody will say, well, yeah, you know, that first service is super tight. We've really got to make sure that we don't go over or, or do anything, you know, that would change the, the order or anything, because we got to make sure that we get to the second service. Well, my question then, and I know I don't usually, I mean, only if I have a relationship would I actually ask this question out loud. Yeah. But I, I want to say something like, well, who chose the service times? Mm-hmm. If you feel crunched by those two services or we feel like, you know, if God did something powerful, we wouldn't be able to facilitate that because of a culture that we've established with times, then maybe we should consider changing the times. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. It's it's culture that we've established uh, that, hey, maybe we should take a second look. Like, for example, some churches I'll go to and they'll say, yeah, you know, Everybody kind of gathers in the atrium until we start the first song. And then when we start the first song, then that tells everybody they should come in and they can kind of start engaging by the second song. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's almost as if they feel like that culture has happened to them. That's just the way the people are. And so there's nothing we can do about it. But what if we actually establish, change that culture and say, hey, you know what? We actually really want everybody to be in here when the service starts. So that first song is not like a throwaway song. You know, just stuff like that, yep. uh, that could, that we could be a part of, don't, where we need to stop believing that culture happens to us. If there's, if there's something that you would ever look out, like a pastor or a leader, and say, man, I look at my congregation and I love them and I love being here. I love leading them, but I wish that we were this, or I wish that we started on time, or I wish that we were more passionate, or I wish that people would put their coffee down during worship, or I wish that, you know, those types of things, those things are cultural things. And so as leaders, we have the responsibility. If there's something that, that where there's tension that, that we feel like is not the direction that the Lord wants to go, then we can actually be a part of shifting those things slowly, but surely intentionally over time. Yeah, for sure. When I hear you um, use the analogy of the two hands representing where culture is and where you want culture to be. And then I think back on what we talked about um, of horizontal, what feels like horizontal worship and what feels like vertical worship And then I think about the fact that the pendulum is always swinging, right? And you look at the different, still, we have different pendulum swings that are represented even by different, you know, denominations or church styles. And it's like, it's like these, these two different hands, it's like, it sometimes, sometimes we're, we're out of balance because we're too focused on a horizontal approach But then sometimes, yes, this sounds unspiritual. But sometimes you can get unbalanced the other way and go over focused on a vertical approach, and because it's God's intended it to be together, you know, just like the whole relational dynamic relationship with God always translates into relationship with others, and so building that culture of you know, and even the 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 local congregation that you've been a part of for years yeah. now, you know, their theme has, has always been love God, love people. And that's not a new theme. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a lot of congregations use that theme, but yep. really it all comes down to that, but it's always tied mm-hmm. together. It's not one, it's not the other. It's not a certain percentage of this one, a certain percentage of that one. It's, it's always together and finding how to build a culture that, um, that helps bring people to that balanced relational balanced place is so significant and this book just um, just does that in just an amazing amazing way so 
Um, so chapter one is, is called Digging the Well. Um, and, you know, when I hear that phrase, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, that sounds like m- me pressing into my relationship with God, which it starts there. Yes, yeah. it's both, but it's, but it, yeah. but it, but it starts there. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, you can't love people unless you're connected right. to God, to connected to God. Right. So it starts there. So, so in there you say, um, you say, if we neglect to cultivate a private walk with God in favor of polishing our public ministry, we will fail every time to acquire the life-giving relationship with God we need as well as the enduring impactful ministry we seek. So, so yeah, so in a nutshell, how would you, how would you say you unpack that in your book? Well, and I mean, let me back up even for just a second here too, you know, uh, the the book is divided into three sections right so uh, and to me this is this is the cornerstone of leadership uh the first section is called it all begins with authenticity and so that's where you're talking there chapter one digging the well Mm. the first five chapters dig into this idea of what it means to be an authentic leader someone who is the same person on the stage off the stage uh, someone who truly does love the lord and can lead other people to love the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it moves into the second chapter or second section, uh, chapters six through ten, which is activating teams for pure worship leadership. So then we get into the real practical stuff, uh, you know, of of leading teams, and and we may get to some of those things. But uh, empowering, taking the things that you've learned in your your private time with God, and instilling those things into your team. But then also growing musically, uh, growing in unity, relationships, all those things. And then that third section being instilling the heart of pure worship into your congregation. Mm. And so I see it as kind of like a waterfall where the top tier is you working, leading yourself, learning to lead yourself into the presence of God, and then transferring those things to the, the te- your teams. Mm-hmm. And then, then those things flowing off the stage into the congregation. Mm, I think yeah. a lot of times leaders make the mistake of believing that their main job as a pastor or as a leader is to pastor the congregation. And I think that's a big mistake. Your, your main job as a leader is actually to pastor your team and to pastor your staff. And then, because you can't give your congregation anything you haven't given your staff. You can't skip over your staff. You can't mm-hmm. skip over your teams if you have... Uh, a group of musicians on the stage who are not truly authentic, um, flowing in the anointing of the spirit. It's hard to transfer that then the, the anointing and, and the present true presence of God to your congregation. So, you know, those three, that three tier is why we divide up into those three yeah, sections. Great. Of the book. And then digging the well there is, is what you were kind of saying. It's, it's to me, the idea is, uh, a lot of people think of worship leadership as their time to worship God on the stage. And I, I personally don't see it that way. I see our relationship with God. Number one is, as you say, worship is life. So mm-hmm. it's it's all the time. It's both. It's a both and of spending time alone, like specific, intentional time alone mm-hmm. with God, and knowing that you're walking with Him all mm-hmm. day long right. in the in the every days of life, right? Yep. And so, but this digging the well thing really is talking about the secret place only, and it's the place where you develop your relationship with God so that when you get on a stage, you actually have something to draw from. You know, people get up on a stage and they're, they haven't spent time with God. And so they're desperately trying to connect with God on a stage rather than having done that all week long already. And, and whatever is in that well is what you have, in, in my opinion, is what you have to offer people. Uh, so if there's, if there's a true, refreshing, Holy Spirit, living water, connection with God, then that is going to flow out of you in your worship leadership that's going to touch your congregation. So it gives you something to draw from when you're on the stage. Yeah, that's great. Um, For me, the way I I communicate my own personal journey with that, with people, is that I used to think of that secret place time as setting the tone for the day. All right, I've got to have this time with God because that's going to set my tone for the day. But then I'd walk away and like not intentionally, but just disconnect from God, yeah. from God right? Yeah. And so yeah, then sure. the more I realized this relational pattern that God invites us to walk in, 
then now I look at that secret place time as, okay, I'm setting the pattern for the day. This is, yeah. this is the relational pattern I'm setting for the day. I'm sitting here, Lord, I'm listening to you. I'm looking for you. Um, I'm responding to you. And when this secret place time is over and the details of the day get kicking in, I want to stay in that pattern. I want to keep looking for you. I want to keep listening for you. Yes, I want to keep exactly. responding to you. So that's awesome. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And so then, uh, so then later on in the book, and this must come in, yeah, I think this is chapter seven, I think. So that put us in the second, the second yeah. tier, but uh, the chapter's called When Teams Meet. Um, yeah. And you've mentioned this a little bit before, but um, you say here, we've already established that team starts with love and relationships. So that's yeah. awesome. And then you say, and if this is true, there's no better place to grow together than in the many spaces we gather together. Yeah. So yeah, just say yeah. a few words about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this whole middle section, as I mentioned, has a lot of practical things in it. You know, when teasing, we're talking about sound check, we're talking about rehearsal, like, and, and it might be one of those things where, where worship leaders would think, well, I mean, I know how to rehearse, and, and and you probably do, but maybe I can give you some ideas that you haven't thought of. You know, maybe another perspective, those types of things. What to rehearse? You know, I think one of the the number one most unrehearsed thing in our church services is transitions between mm-hmm. the songs, you know, and I get into those types of things, you know, but, but being able to see teams as relationship, which is going, you know, again, the same way that we see our, our connection with God, there are practical things, but I think my A-type personality, my natural bent would be to almost run over the people that I'm working with, mm-hmm. to use them in a car co- as a cog in a machine, you know, uh, that we're trying to do ministry, you know, together, as opposed to going, Hey, these are real people. They have real concerns. They, they're real struggles. They have real giftings. How, how can I, as a leader, empower them? How can I walk with them? How can I challenge them? How can I encourage them? All those things. And, and so then, looking, taking another look at your rehearsals and your, and your culture, I guess. Yeah. is what we're talking about, right? It's just yep. team culture. Like what is our team culture? Uh, one example, I think I, I, as I travel around the world, I see a lot of sarcasm in our team cultures mm. in churches. Mm. And I think that's very unhealthy. Like sometimes Absolutely. it's funny. Sure. Let's be sarcastic. There's some funny things to say, but, but I see people walking in insecurity and, 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 not true relationship. And so their whole language, their culture of their team is sarcasm as opposed to true connection and relationship. And and that, you know, it, it breeds the wrong type of culture. So taking another looking at, look at all these things, how do we audition people? How do we onboard people? What's the culture of onboarding people? Why would somebody want to join our teams? Maybe nobody's joining your worship team because the culture is something that is not conducive to good relationships yeah. or, you know, or not conducive to excellence. You know, maybe there's a, as you said, there's this balance, right, between excellence. Uh, one of my absolute favorite verses is Psalm 78, 72, dealing with this tension between authenticity and excellence. And I kind of get into that in chapter eight, but but it says that, in essence, that David led the people with uh, skillful hands and a true heart. Mm. So it's the both and of that. And so sometimes we get off balance. Maybe we focus all on skill and excellence and production or technology. Yeah. Or maybe maybe we don't ever practice at all. and We're just all about relationship. And so, you know, as musicians and leaders, we've got to help people focus on both those things. Yeah, and I think I think what we're talking about here— is just like, it's like the greatest, I think it's the greatest tension that not yeah. only we as ministers have, but just people in general have. And I think yeah. that, I think what we're talking about is really the real story of the Mary and Martha story. Yeah. Because what they were, both Mary and Martha were doing acts of worship. Yep. Martha was, Mary was bowing and before Jesus and focused on him and the people in the room and Martha was 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 serving. You know, she was yeah. serving, which is an act of worship. Yep. But but Martha was doing what so many of us 
are, tend to do, and that is we get over-focused on the doing. And when we get over-focused, yes. even though the doing is an act of worship, if we're over-focused on the doing, then yes. we start to, that starts to hinder the intimacy of relationship because the focus has turned to ourselves. And so... Um, yeah, yeah that, one of my one of my absolute favorite uh, ways to talk about that from the word is you have the great commandment and the great commission, mm. right? So the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. The great commission is to go and make disciples. Well, so many times we get those out of balance, as mm-hmm. you're saying. So yeah. we end up focusing on the great commission. Of course, we're supposed to do the great commission. You know, that's a very important part of life. But the great commission actually flows out of the great commandment. And if we focus on the great commission, we won't accomplish the great commandment or yeah. the great commission. Exactly. So if we focus first on the great commandment, then out of that will flow a passion and a knowledge and an understanding of how to accomplish the great commission. Yep. That's so good, man. All right, so lastly, let's jump to the last third. Um, We've got a chapter called Empowering Your Congregation. And I think this is really cool because you use, you open the chapter with an example of a person uh, that's also connected to my family, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> Lauren. Okay, what's her married name now? Kingsen. 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 Yeah. yeah. So Lauren Freetag Kingsen. So yeah. um, she is one of my daughter's sister in laws. Um, so you open with a story that uh, of in, in her life that she shared with you. But um, yeah, so just talk a little bit just about empowering your congregation in that third layer. Absolutely. You know, this is one of those things. Um, I, I did a. Uh, a video on my YouTube channel years ago, and it still, I think, is the most commented, most viewed uh, video. And it's Mm. about this concept of modeling, teaching, and doing. And I kind of propose this idea, you know, I feel like uh, there are things that we can do to help our congregations respond. Well, the funny thing was, and I talk about in the chapter, like the, the battles and the fights and the angst that came as a result of me talking about this blew my mind because mm. I didn't know this was even an issue. Mm. I didn't even know that anybody was upset about this. But apparently there's this whole group of people out there that are angry about any worship leader who does anything besides worship God on a stage. Mm. And they're like, that's not your job. You're not supposed to help. You're not supposed to yeah. do anything. All you want is a response to make yourself feel good and mm. blah, 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 all this stuff. I'm like, dude, I just want to serve people. I just want to help people. And if there's anything that I can start doing or stop doing that will help them have a more intimate, more real connection with God, I want to do it. And I want to understand those things. I want to be able to help in any way that I can. So one of the ways that I see this empowering, uh, a lot of times as leaders, we like to control things. You know, I, 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 I like being in charge, man. I like having ideas and, and sharing things and all that stuff, but that can actually turn into a problem when we want to keep control. We want to have the people, you know, they need us. They come to church to see us and they come to hear our word from the Lord and they come to, you know, and, it, and it's not really about them connecting with God as much as they are connecting with our leadership and how awesome we are, you know? Uh, and so, one of the, the things that I talk about in the book is that we need to be able to hand the baton every decision we make, everything that we do, every message we preach, every song we sing should be about handing the baton to the people so that they can run with us into the presence of God. Mm. And and the tension there is, I, I think, we and we establish this culture, but a lot of times there's this tension between the spectator and the participant Mm -hmm. in our worship services. You know, oh, wow, I love the lighting. I love the talent of these people. And it's almost like we can kind of joke about this a little bit, but it does happen and it's it's not good uh, where people pack their lunches and and get their coffee and, and they, you know, you know, get dressed to go to what, like they would go to a sporting event, mm. you know, and, and they come and they sit in the bleachers, they've yeah. got their seat, you know, and, and, and they, they got their cushion to, that they sit on and got their sunglasses on and, you know, and then, then they, they come to watch the professionals run around the track. Right. You know, we're the talented people yeah. who, who've been seeking God all week long and they come to just glean a little bit from the professionals. Mm. You know, and, and there's obviously a, a double edged sword here because as leaders, we can tend to enjoy that. You know, wow, they're impressed with us. Wow, they're cheering us on. 
and then also it, it's a little easier, less pressure for the spectator. Just show up. I get to watch them. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And so we're saying, look, I'm going to come off the track with the baton in my hand. And I'm going to walk up to somebody in the bleachers and say, hey, it's your turn to run. Come with me. Join the team and, and, and break down that wall that so often happens between the stage and the seats. Uh, and, and we become one in community, the people mm. on the stage, the same as the people in the bleachers, and say, let's come out of the bleachers. Let's all get into the game together. Let's all run with God. Let's all uh, you know, be one together as we seek the Lord. Uh, and so that, that to me is the, the, the foundation of this idea of empowering people and helping them understand. So it plays into decisions that I would make as to what songs I would choose. You know, in chapter 13, I get into the, the, the idea of the marvelous marriage between the scripted and the unscripted. I'm a firm believer that we should have plans and we should have songs that we sing together that we all know. But I also am a firm believer that the Bible is clear that there should be spontaneous moments in our services that people should learn to sing mm -hmm. spontaneously, just like they might pray spontaneously, mm -hmm. uh, that there's something different, not better, but equally as good that happens when they sing spontaneously. And that, to me, is a, is a very active way to hand the baton. How do you hand the baton? Well. I say, hey, let's begin, as the band begins to vamp on this chord progression, let's just begin to lift up our hearts. So you begin to sing your own song. Well, that empowers people because suddenly they have to go, oh, wait, the words are not on the screen. Right. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> now I have to actually step in. I have to engage my heart, my mind, and begin to worship God on my own. Mm -hmm. And so th those are the kind of things I, I want to see us do is, is make decisions that will help people engage with God on their own uh, to empower them in their relationship with him. So much good stuff there, Jeff. The way my church puts it is this is the end of spectator Christianity. And mm. it's cool because I started hearing them say that and it just resonated with me because that's been your yes. heartbeat for so long and it's something I've learned from you over the years. Mm. And so I would actually like to introduce you to someone that I would like you to maybe help in that area. I think he struggles with mm. this a lot. And so um, a regular on our show, uh, Billy Bob McCall, you're on with Jeff Dio. Mm. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm on with the world famous Jeff Dio. Dio. Jeff Dio. I Jeff, love that last hey, name. Billy Bob. Dio. Dio. Billy Bob. What? I know you. I know you like it. Sounds like a song you've heard before. Yeah. It's commonly miss. Um. It's Dio. Oh. Jeff Dio. Dio. Yep. Like D O. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a Y in there, but that's how. That's how you say it. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry about that, Jeff. Jeff is so well, crazy okay, to be on with you. Oh, my no goodness. No Oh, I've just been listening into the call, and, man, I've just been learning so much. I just can't wait to read your book. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Did this come in big print? Does your book come oh, in yes, like, extra big print? Oh, and I can actually sign a copy for you, too. Oh, really that, oh, that. Oh, my goodness. My kids would just say, what? You got the signature of hey, Jeff Dio? Wow. Billy Bob, that might actually motivate you to get past the first chapter for the first time in a book in a while. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, Jeff, let me just say that I know a thing or two about a thing or two. For example, you and I, we have something in common. We yeah. both have devil wards. Oh. I mean, I just love, I just love dove hunting. Don't you just love dove hunting? I mean, I'm 10 years running now on getting the devil ward down. And I, I know they're cute little things. Sorry for those people who don't like hunting, but, but they're tasty too. They're tasty oh, too. So how many, like how many devil ward, like what, what, what's it like for you when you're out hunting the doves and, and, and how many devil wards have you got in your day, Jeff? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Billy Bob, we might be talking about two different type of uh, Dove Awards. Oh, um, there's, actually, there's, I, another, there's I, another one? Yeah, well, I've actually never been hunting in my life. Um, <laughs> no, that but can't. maybe that's something that you and I could do, you know, sometime together. Oh, maybe awesome. you could take me out Dove hunting. But yeah, we're, we were talking about the Dove Award that Sonic Flood got 
for Praise and Worship Album of the Year uh, back How, in that doesn't 2000. Make any sense. How do you get a dub award for Praise and Worship music? Right? I mean, it's so weird, right? But it's it's actually like a little statue. It's a golden thing. It's really heavy, and it's like honor. It's it's a very, it's a blessing to be able to to oh, receive wow. one of those. It's not an actual bird that's been shot and blown to bits or anything like that. So, so, so what, what's the dove mean for, for, this, for that war? What's the dove supposed to mean? Well, I think that dove represents uh, the spirit of God. Oh! The spirit of God, yeah. So well, that's cool. Well, I'm going to have to... I'm gonna, my kids may be a little disappointed when they hear what your dove award is, but I think when I give them the full explanation, they're going to go... You talk to Jeff De- Dio, who has a, that kind of double war? Oh, man, they're just going to be on me like white on rice. Well, man, this has <laughs> been so, I just feel so honored to talk to you, Jeff. And I can't wait well, to we meet in person. Oh, oh, what, that's so oh, kind definitely. of So kind of I can't wait. Get, get his book, everybody. Everybody get his book. Spark. Spark. Thanks, Where do you get it? Where yeah. do you get it, Billy Bob? <laughs> what? Where do you get the book? Uh, do you know? <laughs> uh, 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 no, I'll let you. I'll let you say. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. If you wanted to, you could go to jeffdeo.com, j-e-f-f-d-e-y-o.com, and you could buy one there. You can get your personalized signed copy, Billy Bob, there. But if somebody wants to get it, um. You know the 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 classic Amazon. You can go to Amazon and you can get the book there as well. Yes. So, let me say this, Billy Bob, too. If if by chance there's a worship leader out there uh, or a pastor that says, "Look, I would love to get ten or more of these books so that I can like give them as gifts to my worship team," would love to go through the book together. Then they can actually reach out to me. Jeff at jeffdo.com. You can email me or just DM me on social media. Wow. And I can get uh, the books at a discount. I, I happen to have connections. Wow. And I can get the book at a discount. For well, people. I'll be talking to our pastor about that for sure. Thanks, Definitely. Billy Bob. That's very cool, Jeff. That's a that's I'm excited for our listeners to hear about that. That is and, great. Uh, what that's a great amazing. resource for everybody. It's exciting. Well, hey, man, we love you so much. We're excited about... uh, I'm so thankful and excited that you're just um, busy as ever and Mm -hmm. and doing stuff and and not only actively out leading worship and doing traveling now, but also investing in the next generation currently and also still creating resources that are applicable and timely and, uh, and amazing. So, and by the way, this, I told you this the other day, uh, when I saw you, but this is like such a beautiful book. I'm holding it right now. It's so <laughs> stinking you. nice. I can't believe how man. nice it is. Yeah. But, Brendan uh, Hollis, man, made the, made the design. I'm so happy with it. And of oh. course that matte finished cover feels yes. so nice. Seriously. It feels so nice. It's gorgeous. It's the real deal. So excited for you guys to get a, your hands on this book. And and thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. Yes, thank you, Jeff. It's been thank great. Thank you, guys. God thank bless you, guys. Man. So Have a great much. Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. All right, you too. All right. Merry Christmas. Okay, bye. We've got three links for you to check out today in the description of this podcast. You can head to jeffdio.com for his new book. You can click on my link for access to all my new music. And you can head to worshipislife.org as usual for any resources. My name is Jeff Dio and you're listening to the Worship is Life podcast.